0: Well, good morning, uh, TVC Saints. Now, you can sing that song, but the question always is, do you believe it? Do you believe it? Or is it just words on a page? You have to believe the words we sing about our God each week. And I have to believe the words I preach to you each week, too. So it goes both ways. If you have your Bible, please open it to Matthew chapter 2. We will be looking at the first 12 verses this morning, the first 12 verses of chapter 2. And Here's God's word to his beloved people. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them, where was the Christ to be born? They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, the star that it had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest upon the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and been warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed on their way. They departed to their own country by another way. This is God's word. Please pray with and for me. Because of who you are, Father, we can live. Because of who you are, we can worship. Because of who you are, creation still exists it still goes and moves forward because of who you are father evil should not win in the end because of who you are lord we sinners can be made right with you because of who you are father we can find healing for our souls we can find rest for our souls Because of who you are, Father, we we don't have to live as orphans. We live as sons and daughters of the king. Because of who you are, we, we can have confidence when we come to you in worship, when we kneel before you in prayer, that you will forgive us of all of our transgressions. And because of who you are, we come to your word to receive a word from you, a word that hopefully will encourage all of us, challenge us, Give us what we need to go back out into the world and and fight at least one more week. And so because of who you are, we call upon you and ask that you will come into this place. Continue to move. Continue to guide. Continue to equip us. Continue to encourage us. And I pray for all of this in your son's wonderful name. Amen. Last week, we we saw the Lord God protect uh, the earthly genealogy of, of the way. And that way is, is Christ. He did so by crossing the way of, of his stepfather, of, of Joseph. And if you can remember, Joseph thought Mary uh, cheated on him. He, she, he, he thought she was pregnant with a, with a son that, by another man. And, and as a result, he planned to divorce her. And that was his plan. He was going to leave. But we saw the Lord supernaturally intervene. We saw him uh, come in and, and change what, what, had, what had happened. You know, boxing legend Mike Tyson says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And that's what happened to Joseph and his plan and his way. The Lord challenged his way, interfered with his way, and he changed his way. And he fully obeyed the Lord's command. Even though he didn't fully understand what the Lord wanted him to do. He took Mary as his wife and he began to walk in the calling to be a father to a son that's not his. I hope you know that, that that was a calling for Joseph to be a father to a son that's not his. And he walked in that. And and who could have done that? Who could have changed such a man's heart? God did that. God did that. He did it to protect Jesus's earthly genealogy, because without Joseph, there's no way Jesus can be a descendant of David. He's a descendant of David. He's the heir to the throne of David because of his earthly stepfather, Joseph. And so we, we see the Lord doing this. So the Lord protected the way here, but the family is not out of harm's way yet. Two years after Jesus' birth, trouble shows up once again. Another issue arrives, and the way needs to be protected again. This time, the life of the way is in jeopardy. The child becomes a target, a target marked for death. Someone wants to take his life. Someone wants to end his life. You see, the birth of Jesus was, it was a significant event, religious, cultural, and historical and everyone isn't going to be excited about it. Okay. Everyone isn't going to be filled with great joy about the birth of this child. When a significant event happens in the world, where do you turn to get information? Who do you trust to deliver you the news in a well-balanced, unbiased way? Who's reliable? Who's well-informed? Who's credible? All of us have sources and places that we run to. Usually these sources and places are people within our own tribe and our group and our club or affinity group. We don't turn to people that we consider to be on the outside of our tribe. Those people are that group. But what I love about our God is that He doesn't operate the way we operate. He doesn't always operate the way that we operate. And remember the words I said last week from Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Our God isn't limited and restricted when it comes to fulfilling his purposes in the world. He even uses people we probably don't expect him to use. And that's a, that's an amen statement. Thank you. And he does so in the text before us. He uses some people that I wouldn't expect him to use. Again, remember Jesus' birth. It's, it's, it's a, it's a it's religious. It's a significantly religiously, culturally and historically. A majority of the Jews, Jewish people in Jerusalem, they can't go tell it on a mountain because they don't know anything about it. OK, the news about his birth isn't public knowledge, yet, knowledge. But, however, the news eventually reaches beyond the immediate family. It reaches beyond the the select few that God revealed it to. It reaches beyond the borders of Jerusalem and Bethlehem. It reaches into an area east of Jerusalem, a Gentile area, maybe Arabia, Persia, or Babylon. The the news supernaturally appears before the eyes of some wise men. Some of them call them magi, scholars, or, or priests, or astrologers. They have a gift to study and the movements of stars. And that's how the news of Jesus' birth reaches them. It appears to them in the sky the night of his birth in the form of a star, the star of the way, the star of Bethlehem. And somehow these Gentiles connect the appearance of this star with a significant birth in the West to Jerusalem, to the Jewish people. Something supernatural happened. Something supernaturally happened in the life of these wise men. Again, the Lord is at work again. And these men, they don't sit on the information. They don't sit on their interpretation of the star. They don't worship the star. They don't form a committee to study the star. They don't build a fire pit and talk about the star or the theology of the star. They do something with it. They respond to the star. Their response is to travel west for 550 miles to Jerusalem. And they didn't have a car. That's on a horseback or camel. And that takes a long time. They really wanted answers to travel that far to seek information about this star. The birth of Jesus is revealed to people outside of Jerusalem. Gentiles. Gentiles. And these Gentiles are on their way to see this child. And think about that. Take that to heart. News of his birth is being brought back into the holy city by people that Jews that have historically looked down upon and considered unclean. Those outside the camp, outside the tribe, outside the church, outside the group. My friend Adam Tisdale told me last week that God works with us and apart from us as his people. But do you believe it? He is supernaturally working apart from his people in these verses. He revealed the birth of Christ to some wise men living 550 miles away. The Jewish religious system isn't at work here. Yahweh is at work, working with and apart from them. And here's a principle for us that we need to keep in mind that, that, that our God doesn't just use his people for his purposes. He uses the common grace inside of unbelievers as well. Do you believe that? He uses people you probably wouldn't expect him him to use, people you probably wouldn't even spend time with. He uses the most unlikely people, like three wise men from the east, from Arabia or Babylon or Persia, pagan men who don't know Yahweh Elohim. So they arrive in Jerusalem like a public service announcement because they don't keep quietly. They don't enter the city quietly. They 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 enter asking a public question. And there's an assumption behind that question because the wise men, they assume that everyone has knowledge of what's happening. They assume the news is public. They assume people know the location of the child. Look at verse one and two. A now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Where is he? How do you respond when someone asks you a question that you think don't make no sense? How do you respond when when people ask you a question assuming you you know the answer? How do you respond when your kids ask you the same question over and over and over again? Do you go go along with the question? Do you ignore the question? Do you roll your eyes in disbelief and walk away? Do you tell them to please have a seat and stop talking? The wise men, see, they're not asking this question to any particular person. They're asking the question to anyone they come in contact with. And none of the people in Jerusalem have a clue to what they're talking about. And I'm sure many of them responded the same way that we will respond. Even though the people are clueless, the question is still true. The question is still sincere. It is still serious. It does make sense. It's not irritating. For someone significant has been born. Notice how the question is worded. Pay close attention to it. It doesn't say born. Born. To be king. It says born king of the Jews. That's a big difference. The question is a profession of who this child is, even in infancy. Jesus is born king of the Jews. He doesn't grow up and become king of the Jews. And these Gentile wise men see this, acknowledge it, and profess it. And why do you think they're traveling all this way to Jerusalem? It's not just to make a public service announcement. They tell us in verse 2a, For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. They don't mean any harm to the child. They're not seeking to destroy the child. The Magi is seeking to fall down before this baby and worship him, to pay homage to him, to honor him. To show reverence to him. This is what they desire to do if they can ever find him. That's what they want to do. Isaiah 65.1 says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not ask for me. Romans 10, 12, 10, 20 says, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Those were referring to Gentiles. The arrival of the Magi in Jerusalem is the beginning stages of these words being fulfilled. The wise men didn't ask for this. They were just doing their thing in the east. They didn't seek it. It was revealed to them supernaturally by the Lord God. And this is God's way. God's way isn't just for the Jewish people. It's going to be open to Gentiles. It's going to be open to the nations. And keep that in mind that Mary's child, the one that she has given birth to, this two-year-old child, is God's way for that to happen, the promised way, the long-anticipated way, the fulfillment way, the priestly way, the, the prophetic way, and the kingly way, the redemptive way. And when it comes to this way, no one is idle sitting on the fence. No one is neutral when it comes to Jesus. No one simply plays the middle when it comes to him. People respond. Just like the Magi are responding. They're going to respond in worship. What's your response to him? Why do you seek him? Why do you come here week after week? For those of you who have faith in Christ, my question for you is, for you is this. What does it look like for you to seek him after all these years, to come to him daily? Are you allowing, are you allowing him to guide you and lead you? Do you? Are you still coming to his hands to lead and guide you on the way of life? Or do you think you don't need him anymore? You got it all together. If you don't have faith in him, then his hands are extending to you Today at this moment, and offering you the answers that you seek. And as I said last week, you don't have to have perfect understanding to come to faith in Jesus. You don't have to have a a perfect, well-balanced life to come to him. All you do is just confess your need, repent of your sins, and rest on him alone for salvation and forgiveness. Surrender to him. Jesus is the way. Mary's son, two-year-old son, grows up and sacrifices himself on the cross, in order to make a way for us to be made right with God. The way for us to have forgiveness is will be through this child. And all we have to do is to receive it, rest in it, believe it, and trust it. Because we can sing about it all day long, but do we believe it? So what's your response? What's your response? Not your parents' response, not your neighbor's Now, your mom, your dad, what's your response to the way? Where are you when it comes to Christ? Now, everyone doesn't respond to him in faith. Some people reject him. Some people walk away from him. Some even seek to destroy him and his own. The news about Jesus' birth isn't going to create peace in the Middle East here. It's not going to bring everyone in Jerusalem together in a holy huddle and they saying Jesus loves me. The way isn't going to bring happiness to a lot of people. Everyone isn't going to seek him to worship him. Some are going to be troubled by this news. The wise men are bringing some are going to be troubled by this question because this question is dangerous. But what do you mean by that, Pastor Alex? Asking such a question in a place where there is a sitting king causes issues. You can't go into a country asking this question where there's already a king in power and not think it's going to cause any problems. It's problematic. It can unsettle the status quo. It can unsettle structures and systems. You see, because what this, question, what this question is showing us is that it tells us that Jesus' authority isn't just going to be spiritual and religious. His power and his rule and his lordship would extend to every area of life. Every area. There isn't an inch of this world in which Christ has not planted his flag and said mine. Everything is his. That's what Colossians 1.16 tells us. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Where the thrones and dominions. Rulers and authorities. All things were created through him. And for him. This two year old child. That's him. That's what these verses are referring to. Jesus. Even as as an infant. Those words of Colossians apply to him. He doesn't grow into this. He's already that. Okay? He's already that. And that's what makes this question a threat to those in power. How does the, the um how does the gospel of Matthew end? What does he tell the disciples in the end? All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he had that authority at his birth. He just didn't get it after the resurrection. And so this question is a threat to the corrupt powers in Jerusalem, both spiritual, both religious and political. And and, and, and think about this, this two-year-old child, he's just two. He probably can't even talk yet. And he's already seen as a threat. A threat that must be dealt with and a threat that must be eliminated. And Herod the king comes up with the way to do it. You see, we, again, when we read these narratives, these gospel stories, we can have a tendency not to realize that this stuff happened. Okay? This is real life here. And what is getting ready to take place is troubling. To think that a king is, it would be willing to put a knife in a little baby to preserve his own power is evil. So we sometimes take for granted what is happening here because this is not our reality. This is their reality, their pain, their life, their story, their suffering. And this is real. This is not a Disney movie. This is not Lord of the Rings. This is real. So Herod comes up with a way to do it. And Herod here, the king, he's also known in history as Herod the Great. And he was appointed king of Judah and Israel in 37 B.C., by Rome, because at this point in history, um, the Jew, J- Jerusalem is under the authority of the, of the Roman uh, nation. And he, in his reign, is, he, he built a lot of buildings during his time in power. He even built the second Jewish temple. But his reign was also ruthless, man. He ruled with an iron fist, governed with an iron fist. He isn't a good king. He's evil. He even murdered one of his wives and her whole family. He murdered his firstborn son as well. And so at this time, he's much older, but he's still the same man, the same evil king. And in these verses, Herod is moving towards the end of his life. And what do you think this king is going to do when he gets wind of this question, if he's that type of king? What is he going to do? Is he just going to sit on it? Oh, it would be all right. I'm king. No, he's not going to sit on it. He's not going to dance like David when he hears this news. Okay? He's not going to dance like David. Verse 3, when when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Man, this thing is getting on my nerves. And all of Jerusalem with him. Fear is their first response. Think about that. Fear. That's the first response of of the power brokers in, in Jerusalem. It's opposite of the response to the Magi. The leaders are unsettled by the question, disturbed by the question. There's mental and emotional distress, wondering what could this mean for my position? That's what they're thinking about. What could, this, what could this news mean for my throne, my position, my role, my power? They feel threatened. Hope you know that. They feel threatened because they feel like I'm going to lose something if there's a new king on the block. So the king comes up with a plan to deal with this potential threat quietly without trying to draw any public attention to it. So he gathers all the Jewish religious leaders together, inquiring of them about the birthplace of the Christ. So he has some knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. And he asked them earnestly, look at verse four, assembling all the chief priests and the tribes together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Where was he to be born? Imperial motives are beneath this question and the priests and the scribes are are being played by the king he's playing he's running a game on them he wants to know the birthday because he want, he intends harm for the child to take his life the most powerful person in Jerusalem has gotten wind of the way his existence and now and he's not happy the way is in trouble his life is in jeopardy and it's, and it's amazing that the one group of people in Jerusalem who should be interest, interested in the way appear to be complacent and clueless. And that is the religious leaders. They appear to have no knowledge of the question that the wise man has been asking. So they tell the king what he wants to know, and they go on about their way. Bethlehem of Judea, king, so it's written by the prophet, and you are Bethlehem in the land of Judah, or by no means at least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The king now has the answer to the Magi's question. He has accomplished the first part of his plan. And then he assembles secretly these wise men in a secret meeting, a meeting between him and them. And he presents himself in the best positive light possible. Comes off as if he wants the same thing they want, to worship the newborn king. But he's playing them too. The same way he played the religious leaders. He's pretending to be an ally so he can learn the child's age and location. He's going to use these wise men to locate the child in the down And he doesn't want anyone else involved. And like the religious leaders, these wise men are clueless to the reality that they are being deceived. Clueless to the fact that they are unintentionally helping the king get closer to destroying the very thing they want to worship. And there are some principles here for us. One of the principles is, it's so easy to be on the side of the oppressor and don't know it. So easy to be on the side of evil and don't even know it. Easy to be deceived by the outward appearances of other people. motives are often hidden by a smile and the appearance of good intentions. Everyone who says they're your ally isn't your ally. This king is not a friend of the way. He's shady. He's deceptive. As we will see in the following passages. He says, he summoned the wise men together, asserting from them the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. King, you are a liar. That's a lie. You don't want to worship him. You want to put a knife in him. No, We know this, the magi don't. So they cluelessly go out and they journey to the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means, house of bread. They go in search of the king and then while they're traveling, something supernatural (laughs) happens again. The same star appears before them again, and it leads them to the child's location. And joy fills their heart. Joy fills their heart. Again, that is supernatural. And my thoughts was that doesn't God know what King Herod wants to do? Why does he lead these men to Jesus' location, knowing that the intent is to kill the baby? Why does he do that? He can because nobody can stop his plans. That's why. Verse 9b and 10, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest upon a place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they braced themselves. You can, can you just see the emotion? They traveled all this way and they have finally found the child that they've been searching for traveled all these miles to worship him, and they finally get to do so. And they do. They enter the house. They see him. They even give him gifts, and they fall down before him, and they worship him. Their joy is not complete. And they got to this place because of supernatural assistance. Now they got a decision to make. Do they bring word back to the king? They plan to do so until the Lord crossed their way. Again, supernaturally. In a dream, he warns them, do not return to Herod. And so they don't. They do not. And what we see is that God protects the life of the way, He interferes with the king's evil plan. And what does this reveal about your God and my God? That no power or scheme or man can stop or hinder His purposes. That's what it reveals. Nations, kingdoms, governments, political parties, and movements may try to interfere with him, but they can't. Evilness, the evilness of the world would never prevail against him. Psalm 2, many of you know that psalm. It says, why does the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away the cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Laughs. God is a comedian, I guess. I love that. He who sits in the heavens laughs. At those who seek to challenge, interfere, and change his ways. Or we could put it another way. It's like, it's like him saying in the words of Mr. T, I pity the fools who challenge me. <laughs> Alright? That's what he's saying. I pity you when you try to challenge my authority. What does this mean for us right now? It means that God knows the pressures and the threats and the dangers his people face day in and day out, and he does not abandon us to them. But do you believe it? He knows pain, sickness, the death, the persecution that we go through. Do you think he takes pleasure in that? No, he doesn't. That evil will meet its end at at some point. They're going to receive that justice at some point. And we have to know that we are not abandoned, even though we struggle, even though we have hardships. He has never promised us a comfortable life, but he has promised to never leave us and forsake us. That's what he has promised us. And then we see this protecting Jesus supernaturally. And the question I asked last week, is there room for God to still work supernaturally in your life? Is there room for that? Or do you think it's all figured out? Our faith is highly supernatural, highly, and if we forget that, we 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 leave out a, a huge part of our faith. There are certain things that He's going to do that you can't explain, and that's a good thing. Leave room for that. This star that stands above Jesus is a prophecy in Numbers four, Numbers twenty-four, verses seventeen and nineteen. And in, in that prophecy, it talks about a star coming from J, out of Jacob. And that star that he that he's talking about is a star of judgment. It's, it's a star that comes to, to defeat his enemies in judgment. And so this star of Bethlehem is that star. But what it, what I love about it is that the very people that should have been his enemies wasn't. His enemies were his own people. And jesus instead of judging these wise men, he received them and so but this just shows us what type of king that he's going to be. He's not going to be like King Herod. he's not gonna be that type of king. he's going to be a good king, a faithful king, a different type of king, a king who has the right power and the right justice. And a king who ends up sacrificing his very life for the very people who cry out, crucify him. That's the type of king that we have. He turns everything upside down. Everything upside down. In the the Return of the King, chapter 7 and 9, there's a nurse in in, in that book that, that recalls a legend of Gondor. And this is what the nurse says. She says, the hands of the king are hands of a healer, so shall the rightful king be known. Those hands of Jesus, those are healing hands. Healing hands. Hands that he's extending to you for your healing, for your deliverance, for your protection, for your care, for your provision. And the thing is, is do you still reach out for those hands? His hands is never that his hands come. Come to me and find rest. Come to me and find peace. Come to me and find hope, find love, find security. Find all that you need are found in his hands. No other hands are going to ever be Jesus' hands for you. It is important for all of us. Definitely for our little babies as you grow up and become young men and women. I can't reinforce this enough to you. Jesus' hands to you will always be extended to you out of love. Out of love and care for you. And you don't ever have to run away from him. Ever have to run away. When our first parents fell from grace and when God came into the garden, their first response For being caught in their sin. Was to run away. And hide. You know what Jesus has done for you? That even when you have committed sin. You can run to your father's arms.
1: That's what he's done
0: for us. And that's the amen there. That you no longer have to run away. Even when you fall. You can run to your father's arms. To receive an embrace. Now that may be some discipline. But it will all be out of love for you. Good parents model that for their kids. The way good parents parent their kids, think about how much more God is is better than them. Much better, Father, because we're sinners. So my encouragement to you to know that your life is protected. Your life is protected and Jesus is with you. And he would never abandon you. I'm hot and now I'm sweating, so let's pray. <laughs> Father, I'm tired of the shade here too. I pray that you will help my unbelief. Tuesday morning, I'm going to forget all of this, I'm going to be in depression again. But help me and all of us to know that we are never alone. As we read, sometimes we can read these gospel stories and, and we can't really identify with them. But I pray that, that this sermon series would touch us in deep ways, deep ways, that, it, that you will open up this, this, these, these stories about Jesus in a way that touches us deeply and encourage us, Lord. And I pray as we go out this week, there will be some hardships. We've had fam- we, have part, we have family members in the church who have lost loved ones. Be with them comfort them. Some of us are sick. Some of us need jobs. Provide Father. Help us never to lose sight of the fact that in the highs and lows of life you are always faithful. You are always faithful. You don't stop being God because we fail. You don't stop being who you are because of who we are. You stay true to yourself regardless. You have never changed. So help us believe that you are forever able. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand as we close our service. Amen and amen. Amen. If you are a guest, first time guest, thank you so much for being here. Please visit our information desk. We have a small gift for you. Also, if you have your worship guide, please take a look at the back. We do have some upcoming events. So please mark your calendar with those. And here's the Lord's benediction to his beloved people. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please greet one another.